0: I think we should all remember, and almost all of us would agree, that government still has important responsibilities. Our young people hold our future in their hands. We still owe a debt to our veterans, and our senior citizens have made us what we are. Now, my budget cuts a lot, but it protects education, veterans, social security, and Medicare. This is Achieve Great Things, Episode 8. Thanks for joining. Uh, We appreciate everyone listening. This week, we're interviewing Sean Gibbons, who's the CEO of the Communications Network, which is a leadership organization for nonprofit communications professionals. They do a lot of uh, work on connecting communications leaders to each other, um, a lot of tools and resources and conferences and content and guidance for communications professionals so really fits well with what we're talking about on this podcast he'll go into some detail in the interview about um, what the communications network does and what they're up to and if you haven't heard of it in your communications professional you should absolutely check it out Um, we hope you're enjoying the podcast Um, got some really good feedback so please keep it coming you can reach us at podcast.hadaway.com so thanks again for listening and um, enjoy this conversation with sean gibbons Hey everyone, I'm here with Sean Gibbons, who is the CEO of the Communications Network, the newly newly Chrisom CEO. Still getting used to that. <laughs> that sounds so odd. It and, doesn't
1: get me out of taking the trash out. I'll tell you
0: yeah, that. that's too bad. <laughs> um, well, we appreciate you joining us. Sean has um, a lot of experience before before the Communications Network, working in a, a number of different. Areas of communications. Do you want to give a quick summary of your career so far, and then maybe just a line or two about the Communications Network, in case sure. there's anyone out there who doesn't know about, about doesn't know combat. about the communicate
1: the mighty Communications Network. Uh, yeah, I, I come from a, a journalism family. My father was a reporter, and so uh, unlike my brothers and sisters, who are all much wiser than I am, <laughs> I went into the family business. And so uh, my father would take issue with this. Uh, I went to work at uh, ABC News, and then later CNN. He was a print reporter, so as far as he's concerned, television is not news. Mm-hmm. And, Based on what I'm seeing lately, maybe he's right. But, yeah. uh, but that's, suffice to say, I was there at a really, particularly, I think, at ABC in a very fortuitous time. I got to work alongside Peter Jennings and Ted Koppel and David Brinkley. And so it's kind of like going to J school, sort yeah, of how I think about uh, it. Uh, and then after CNN, which I went to after, after my time at ABC, um, I went to work for John Podesta at the Center for American Progress when he was just starting that up. Uh, which was a really remarkable experience. And my first real experience on being on the other side of the velvet rope. So mm-hmm. in journalism, you're constantly reporting on what's going on and all of the, the players um, and trying to make sense of it. But when you're actually on the other side and seeing how policy is being formulated and, and how ideas are being packaged and delivered, uh, you know I get to learn a ton and got to participate in helping to build up CAP, which was a real privilege. Uh, and then after that, I went to work for a think tank, another think tank here in Washington called Third Way, which uh before my arrival had not had a communication shop. So that was a really wonderful opportunity because I sort of went in with a blank slate and got to take all the stuff that we did well at Cap and bring it into the organization, all the things that maybe if we'd wished we'd had to do over, I got to sort of acknowledge and say, maybe I won't do that again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So all of that, I think, was very instructive in coming into the role of the network. Communications network, as a name might suggest, is a network. It's folks who, uh, in most cases, are leading communications at some of the larger foundations and nonprofits around the country, and even increasingly now around the globe, Uh, and the aim is pretty simple. The network exists to help people do their work better. Uh, the idea is that no single one of us, particularly in this day and age where things are changing almost daily uh, in the way that we do our work, uh, has a monopoly on understanding on how to do this work well. But if you reach out and talk to some colleagues and friends uh, in the consulting space at other foundations and nonprofits, chances are you're going to pick up a thing or two along the way. Uh, and my hope is is that's that's afforded folks within the network a real opportunity to up their game.
0: Yeah, Definitely. And um, for those of you who are listening who don't know, Communications Network has an annual conference um, that we always go to, and it's it's hugely helpful in terms of ideas and um, sharing best practices, and also just hearing stories about successful communications and and networking um, with others. And so that's if you haven't checked it out before, you definitely should.
1: Oh yeah, please do, and and do so soon because I think we're about to sell out for this year in Miami.
0: Yeah, good good location, good location. It will not Looking be hard. It. it will not be hard to be in Miami. <laughs>
1: we we always end up in really beautiful places and and with really
0: remarkable people. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. stuff. Um, so the first question is sort of a big question, but, you know, take it any direction you want. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about communications in the past year through your work or, or your experience generally?
1: Wow. I, mean, I guess I could come at that in a couple different ways. <laughs> but, I mean, at first I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say just in light of, of you know, 2016 into 2017 we've seen a remarkable change in our country. Uh, so if you sort, sort of put a political or policy lens on that, uh, in a lot of ways, every election is about communications, right? It's about telling stories and which ideas win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was certainly true, I think, in 2016. Uh, and it certainly has been true so far. This was really a communications election. Um, and so far as how that has a bearing on sort of the wider world or the world that I live in with communications and foundations, I think it's probably served to crystallize a lot of thinking that's been um, working its way through the sector, uh, that communications really is this incredible strategic lever to take your ideas and really amplify them mm-hmm. and find partners and find ways to really maximize your impact. Um, what I th- I, I was, I've been heartened, I think, over the last few months to really see a number of organizations um, within the foundation and nonprofit space do a fairly simple but pretty powerful thing And that is uh, in the days after the election and even over the last month or two is watching organizations just stand up and reaffirm their mission and their values and remind the folks who they work with and they work for, that they're here, they're not going anywhere, that regardless of what may be happening on any given day or week, uh, whatever headline is is blazing across the New York Times or across Twitter, that these organizations are going to endure and that they're going to play a very significant role in shaping the life of uh, folks here in the United States and around the world. And I take a lot of heart in that because I'm not sure that would have happened 10 or 15 years ago.
0: Yeah. I think the
1: other thing that's sort of happening in communications, at least again within social sector communications, is I think there's coming, folks are coming around to this idea that a communications team performing at a very high level is in fact a strategy team, Mm -hmm. right? That they really can help organizations get really clear on what they're trying to do, who they're trying to engage with, how to bring partners into the mix, and how to really take the ideas that animate their work, bring them to life, and bring them to bear out in the wider world.
0: Yeah, and just to probe a little bit on that, because I think um, you have a unique vantage point in working with a lot of foundations who... You know, are are of course non-political by nature, but values and mission-driven, and probably trying to find their their place in in a changed communications landscape. Are there any um, any interesting anecdotes or conversations that you've had about how that role should or is changing? Because we talked to our clients a lot about that recently, especially. What should we? What should we do? What kind of perspective should we take? How do we balance this?
1: I think you know what's interesting to me is is, um, and I think this is mostly coincidental that there seems to be a new uh, class of leadership, particularly in the foundation space, but I think in the nonprofit space as well. So hmm. I think that generation is more comfortable uh, thinking of themselves as communicators um, in terms of how that's that's sort of manifesting itself. Um, you know, I think it varies from organization to organization. Mm. There's that old adage that I'm constantly reminded of, which is particularly speaking of foundations. To know one foundation is to know one foundation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Each one is different. Um, but what I've taken a lot of heart in is seeing, you know, not only folks in the communication shop looking to to improve their craft and to uh, play a deeper role in in helping to achieve the mission of their organizations, but you're seeing that in the C-suite as well. You're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of leaders really thinking deeply about this. Um, I think that there's still some work to do. I mean, if you ask me, success looks like everyone in an organization, in a foundation or nonprofit or even uh, other organizations, sees communication as a core piece of their job, right? That it really becomes part of the culture of these organizations so that, you know, the comms shop is not the water's edge. That they really are helping to set strategy and offering expertise and helping to guide the organization and serve as strategic counselors, but that everybody in the organization takes some ownership of that. And the truth is, look, we're all doing communications in our personal lives or in our daily lives. If you have a Facebook page, guess what? You're a communicator. You have a LinkedIn page. You're shaping your identity. You're sharing ideas and information with people. And obviously, there are some ways to do that that are more effective than others. I think that's where communications professionals can really uh, offer some value.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think for for our work with our clients, we often see that it we go in as a communications consultant and it's a communications project and it, and it quickly turns into a strategic project. And part of that is just not getting people in the room and discussing the right questions. Like That, that just doesn't happen a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting um, way that some people are brought along in that way, but then some leaders are Are naturally attuned to that, and I think those end up being more successful sort of communication, communicating organizations when the leadership is bought in.
1: Well, communications. I mean, at its at at, at first order of business in communications is listening, right? And why do you listen to learn, right? You want to get smarter. You want to become, and through becoming smarter, hopefully you're going to become more effective. I think it also has sort of the ancillary benefit of creating alignment, Mm -hmm. right? That you can make Mm -hmm. sure that for a lot of organizations they sort of think, what should I say about this issue or that issue? And sometimes you sort of forget that actually the first thing you have to do is make sure that everybody in your organization understands where you're going and why you're doing that, Mm -hmm. and communications, I think, can really help to uh, distill down and help folks across the organization carry a common understanding. Um, and that listening piece is not just inside the organization, which is critical, but even out into the wider world, understanding who you're talking to, where they are, what kinds of things tend to motivate them so that we've moved beyond demographics. There's a hell of a lot of science. And we'll get to this, I think, in a little f- further mm-hmm. in the conversation. There's a lot of science and data in communications now. It's, it's not simply sufficient to say, I'm going to go out and hire an English major who writes nicely and call it a day. That won't do it. I don't know if that ever would do it, but it certainly doesn't do it today. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would just say is, uh, in terms of, of the increasing importance, and, and the word that comes to mind is prominence, but importance is probably the better word of communications is something that one of my old bosses said. So when I worked for uh, John Podesta at the Center for American Progress, uh, I had the, the good fortune to get to sit in on a few interviews that John did, and in one of, the, actually, in almost every one, he repeated the same thing. I'm going paraphrase it. He used to say he uh, John was before founding. The Center for American Progress was the Chief of Staff to President Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very interesting job, right? You are literally sort of, in many ways, the secondary voice for the President of the United States. But you get to observe the White House in a very unique way. And what John used to say was, uh, being the President of the United States comes with many awesome responsibilities and sacred duties. But that none... In his estimation, none was more important than being the communicator-in-chief. Being able to explain to the American people what the U.S. government was doing and why, and doing so in a way that wasn't just about what the president or his administration wanted to say, but finding ways to really make that resonate and make it meaningful with the American people so that there was that clear understanding of what we were doing. That's Mm. a Herculean task, by the way. But it seems to me, if that's true... For the president of the United States, then it's got to be true. If you're running a foundation or a nonprofit, uh, and it's certainly got to be true if you're working for those
0: organizations. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you see as sort of big challenges and opportunities based on you know what you've learned and and where you see the communications field heading?
1: Uh, big challenges. Well. You know, I, I think the single biggest challenge that everybody faces right now is is there's just a proliferation of ideas and information out there. Like mm-hmm. We are truly living in the information age. Uh, Nielsen, which measures these things, uh, don't ask me how I could not <laughs> begin to tell you, but I think there's some math involved and some science, uh, has been measuring for years now how much information Americans, adult Americans, consume on a daily basis. Mm-hmm won't surprise anybody listening to know that that trend has been going up and up. You guys are listening to a podcast. So that probably wasn't part of your media diet just a few years ago. Um, But just over the last three years, uh, that trend has really uh, accelerated. So in, I think it was 2014, Nielsen found that the average American adult average person. So there's folks above this and some folks maybe below this, Uh, but the average American adult consumed nine hours and 32 minutes of ideas and information each day. That's everything from podcasts to watching Game of Thrones to uh, listening to NPR on the radio on the way to work, reading a book, sending an email to a colleague, uh, playing Pokemon Go or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all of that, if you add it up together, uh, add it up to about nine hours and 32 minutes a day. That's a fairly large amount of time, yeah. right? That's a lot of consumption yeah. happening. So the really crazy thing was in 2015, it jumped up. It went from nine hours and 32 minutes to nine hours and 39 minutes. Anybody who does statistics would tell you that a seven minute jump mm-hmm. across a huge population is a massive and very significant thing. And that, that's true. That's a massive and significant thing. But here's the really crazy part. This is the thing that I'm still scratching my head at. Last year... When Nielsen looked at this, they found that the average American adult consumes 10 hours and 39 minutes of ideas and information each day. So it jumped not seven minutes, it went up a full hour in the span of 12 months. That's. That's remarkable. And that means that there is a tremendous opportunity, but obviously some significant challenges to any organization to make sure that they're part of that. I mean, I guess one way to think about it, my mom used to always say, and I'm sure yours did too, you know, you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) uh, trying to get the ideas and information that really animate these organizations, the foundations and nonprofits that I work with, to get them into the media diet of folks is really critical. Because look, at the end of the day, foundations and nonprofits at their core, They're in the ideas business. They're trying to advance big, bold ideas to transform society or make the world we live in a little bit better. Uh, Some of those things are grand and ambitious. Some of those things are modest and meaningful. But the only way that those things are going to come to pass, no one's going to be able to do it by themselves. It's really being able to bring people along. And that's where communications is so critical.
0: And so maybe that leads to the opportunities. But what do you see as as opportunities um, for communicators who... Now we now we know that the challenge is as big as ever in terms of breaking through and, sure, yeah. and getting, and maybe there's an argument to be made that, you know, we don't need more information or ideas, but there's always room for, for good information ideas. So what are the opportunities to help overcome those challenges?
1: I mean, I think the thing that comes immediately to mind is that I, I certainly hope that in 2017 uh, that most folks are, Regularly finding ways to bring, you know, data and information and research into their practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could tell you that that was true yep. everywhere, but I think for most of us, and I consider myself in this in this crowd. I'm I'm by no means in the vanguard. We're all struggling to find our way to figure out ways to really imbue the work that we're doing with a little precision and a little bit better understanding because you're going to be more effective, right? It's all about to me data and research and communications is a requirement these days Mm -hmm. and it creates so many efficiencies um, and that all sounds like business speak when really what we're trying to do is just find a pathway into people's hearts and minds and you know, for organizations that are not able to or th- believe that, you know, they're a one-person shop but they've got a limited budget or there's just a few of them in the office, how can I uh, think about and bring this into my work? I mean, you know, look, there's lots of ways to do it. Uh, if you're not regularly finding ways to to look at what the latest is that's coming in from social science because we know a ton more about the brain today than we did a long time ago. If you're not able to figure out how to do psychographics, that's a really fancy Mm -hmm. way of saying understanding the values and things that animate people and how they live their lives, not just, you know, I'm a 45-year-old man who lives in the Washington, D.C. area who has a fancy title in his job now. Uh, you could divine certain things, yeah. but as you and I were talking, we're both fish fans, yeah. right? That's not something that's going to become evident no. to you by basic demographics. Right. But psychographics might find that, you know, you and I might be more motivated to do something if Trey Anastasia is telling us yep. to do it as a messenger or probably. something. So, Probably <laughs> so, right? So, so really trying to find ways to bring a little bit more... Uh, science and research and sophistication into your work is, it's a challenge, without a doubt, without a doubt. But there are ways to take modest steps in that direction. And I got to tell you, if you take a bit, little step today and a little step tomorrow and commit to, to building this into your practice, then I think over time you'll discover that you have, in fact, become a data-driven communicator. And I think that's a requirement to do this work well today.
0: Yeah it's interesting we we have conversations about psychographics now with almost all of our clients it's like it's something that people are realizing we have to get beyond demographics and it's it's a way to I like the way you're thinking about it in terms of efficiency it's not just of course getting to like what are people motivated by and, you know, understanding their hopes and values and that sort of thing. But it's also, it's making better use of what we all know is limited time and resources, Absolutely right.
1: right. Absolutely right. Um, and I know this is a quote that, that Doug is uh, particularly fond of, and I think this this helps to sort of guide you folks in, at, at Hathaway, is a uh, is one that I, we use in a recent issue of our Change agent Journal, and that's a George Bernard Shaw quote, which is that the single biggest problem in communications is the illusion that has taken place. Right? <laughs> yeah. And that was true when, when George Bernard Shaw said it, uh, probably over 100 years ago now. Uh, it's true today, mm-hmm. it'll be true tomorrow. It was true last week. So the other thing that I think is the big challenge is constantly reminding ourselves that it's easy to think we've done everything we can. And uh, we've satisfied our own uh, requirements to do this work well, but the reality is is that even at doing our best work, there's a very good chance that we are falling short more than we're succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a good reason to get out of bed each day, is to try to do a little bit
0: better. Yeah, well, on that note, um, you, you have um, really driven Communications Network forward in a lot of ways, and you guys are doing awesome stuff on the, you. the conference and um, you know, the webinars you do and the, the publication you mentioned. What do you see as the priorities or responsibilities for you over the next couple years or or next year to help kind of um, address some of those challenges you discussed?
1: I think uh, well, you know, I think one of the things that we're we're trying to come to terms with is as a network, which is a different kind of you know. I know we're a nonprofit organization, but at the end of the day, I guess we're a business, and so networks are very different than let's say an advocacy group or a think tank or even a journalism enterprise, which I've worked in in the past. Mm -hmm. and i think the thing that we have to remember is that a lot of success within a network is is hard for us to measure or see it's about sort of creating the hockey assist it's creating the conditions in which other people can gather and you know frankly to me i would be delighted to find out that somehow through the network some folks got connected to one another and through that connection it's Heard someone to start thinking in a new and different way and they started doing their work differently and something remarkable and extraordinary happened as a result. Um, in terms of what we're planning going forward, you know, it's interesting. We're just in the middle of a big strategic planning process. But my, my expectation is, you know, you're kind to say we have been, I think, seeing a lot of uh, success over the last uh, couple of years. The the size of the network has grown. We've, we've doubled in size. We've increased some of the things that we're able to do, all with the aim of bringing people together and trying to share what we know or what others, allowing other people to share what they know. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, to me, success looks like every foundation and nonprofit in America does a much better job of communicating. You know, and that could be understanding who they're talking to or trying to find new ways to find folks perhaps they didn't know before and engaging with them. Uh, but it could be just as simple as explaining to people who they are, what they do, and why it matters. Yeah. And doing that in a way that's effective. And to go back to that word, uh, efficient. Yeah. Right? Really yeah. critical that we do that.
0: I think it's interesting one thing that I know you guys are doing, which I think touches on a conversation you and I had a couple months ago is expanding the local networks, which yeah like, actually getting we've people been really proud of uh, getting people together it turns out is pretty important.
1: yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, we went through this big strategic uh, conversation at a board retreat we just hosted down in Austin. And if you asked me to sort of distill it down into a couple words, of what it means to, for the network to succeed. Uh, to me, you know, network theory tells you you get smarter when the collective intelligence of the organization grows, and that means more people have to sign up. Mm-hmm. So I would say sign up, show up, share out, and then for us, a measure of that is then satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? So we want the network to grow. I think we're going to be a better organization. I mean, we're very, very fortunate that we have some of the most remarkable and and amazing and inspiring organizations that are part of the network. Uh, you know, for folks who don't know us, just to give you a flavor of it, it's folks like the Knight Foundation and the Ford Foundation, the MacArthur Foundation, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Brookings Institution, the Center for American Progress, where I used to work, mm-hmm. uh, World Wildlife Fund. These are amazing Organizations and the cool thing is they're talking to one another. Yeah, right. They're really trying to collectively figure out what can I learn from this organization or that organization. Many of whom we probably like and admire and have liked on our Facebook page. But they're talking to one another to figure out how do we do our work and advance our missions and do that work better. Uh, that to me is is really really cool to see. Uh, the sharing out part is just there's a really cool element that maybe surprise me a little bit Mm -hmm. and that's the just there's this spirit of generosity within the network i think some folks come because they want to get something right Mm -hmm. they want to figure out how to solve a particular problem and they're hoping Mm -hmm. that some colleague out there will help them do that and almost certainly that's true but what's really neat is that then people feel the sense of reciprocity and they're offering things up or they're sharing things whether that's through the journal or participating in a webinar or coming to the conference and offering uh to share something that they've learned that's that's, I mean it sounds hokey but that's kind of a beautiful thing yeah that's really cool and yeah. to me that's the strength and, and spirit of the network is that sense of generosity it has been one of the great honors and privileges of my life to get to be part of this organization I mean I would show up if they paid me in popsicles because <laughs> I just think that that uh, seeing amazing organizations that are trying to in as again in some very bold and in some cases fairly modest ways make the world a little bit better and bend the arc of history towards uh, towards good mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool thing. I mean, people in the network roll out of bed each day trying to make the world a better place. And to the extent that we can help people facilitate that, I can look at my kids in the eye and think that I'm doing something pretty yeah. decent.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's good. super important work. Um, what's one, one idea or insight that you'd leave people with a, that you think might be able to encourage them to do their jobs better? As communicators,
1: I think that idea around data and research—you mm-hmm. know, really—that that has to be uh, that I- that is the future. It's probably the present, mm-hmm. uh, and that I suspect that for most folks listening, they're thinking to themselves, "Yeah, I do a little bit of that," but you know, I think that has to increasingly be something that folks really have to think about. We're actually—I'm gonna—I'm gonna give up the ghost a little bit. We just did a survey or just completed it and got hundreds upon hundreds of folks in the network to participate, uh, and we were asking folks, what are the core competencies, what are the qualities and skills that you need to really do communications with excellence, and specifically with the focus of doing comms for good or communications yeah. for good? And it won't surprise people to know that you know the number one thing that, that folks responded with, and these were folks leading organizations, these were the decision makers at places like Ford or World Wildlife Fund and elsewhere. Uh, was strategic thinking, Mm -hmm. that you really need to have strategic thinkers in your organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're the leader of a department, gosh, I hope that's you, (laughs) but you really probably want it to be other folks, too, so that you have a bunch of really sharp minds who are able to look around corners and see the future and think about ways to get there. Uh, But what surprised and delighted me was that we also saw folks talking about the importance of emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, some people think of as a soft skill, but boy, is that critical, and it's particularly critical in communications. Um, A lot of folks Responded that data and research, as I'm suggesting, is really important. They think it's going to become increasingly important mm-hmm. over time. And here's the perhaps not surprising thing they found it really hard to find folks with those skills. Yep. So if you're listening and you're looking to find a way into this field, boy, man, if you do some math, you know, I always think yep. of that old Saturday Night Live with Gerald Ford. Uh, with Chevy Chase playing Gerald Jennifer, Ford, yeah. where he's like, I was told there would be no math. Right. That was sort of why I think I went into communications, yeah, yeah. you know. It was a great way <laughs> to here. duck out of my, my algebra classes. Um, but the reality is that, that uh, it found me, and mm-hmm. it's finding all of us. The data and communica- data and research and communications are really critical. Uh, and the good news is, is that it's becoming easier and easier to, to take some of the insights that you can glean uh, from that stuff and apply it to your work.
0: Yeah. And we'll um include links to the communications network site. There are some some um, resources there too that that people can draw from. Um, so last question, what's um what's something as a music fan? what's something you've been listening to? Recently. Oh, this is my favorite question. Okay.
1: <laughs> the thing that I probably had on kind of constant repeat lately would be the new Gary Clark Jr. record. He's a guitar player out of Austin. I discovered him because the board has been going to Austin over the last few years for our retreats, and I was looking for sort of local musicians. Yeah. And I, uh, he's remarkable. He just came out with a new record you can find on Spotify called Live in North America. Awesome. Uh, that's awesome. I live with small humans, so I've been listening to the Moana soundtrack an awful lot. Okay. So if you like Hamilton and you like Lin-Manuel Miranda, guess what? He did the music for Moana. It's Actually, quite good. Nice. Uh, a little bit of Kendrick Lamar, uh, a lot of Tribe Called Quest's new record. I'm, yeah. again, old enough that, like, yeah. Tribe was my generation. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, my staff will tell you that I hate Drake. Yeah. There's something about Canadian hip hop that does not commute for me. <laughs> and I was sort of raised on Q-Tip and Fife, who's sure. unfortunately no longer yeah. with us. Peace peace. So, the idea, yeah, RIP for Fife, let's pour some out. Um, the idea that 18 years after their last record, they would come out and deliver. To me, one of the best hip hop records in the last decade. Yeah, uh, and that was so prescient. Um, it, it just it feels very much of a piece of this moment that we're in uh, has been something. It's just a gift I've been really grateful for. What nice. else? Uh, some Boni Vera, the amazing Frank Ocean, new mm-hmm. record, Blonde. Uh, Apparently, it looks like Michael Jackson's Thriller has been in rotation. Don't hate that's me; always, I'm old. That's always a good one. That's always a good, always a good idea. Uh, I guess <laughs> I've been looking after folks who are no longer with us. So Prince's self-titled record, uh-huh. a good example of what an amazing guitar player he was. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you a lot of things here, and David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Awesome. a good, good. Oh, and Lemonade from Beyonce, which is awesome really great that's record.
0: pretty that's good that's a good that's a good diverse group that everyone should be able to find something in
1: something in there yeah i have pretty eclectic taste
0: awesome well thank you for um, coming by and sharing your, your insights and having the conversation thank fun. you
1: for the opportunity it was a pleasure to be with you i'm a big fan of the work you guys do
0: thanks again for tuning in to achieve great things if you like what you hear subscribe on itunes and give us a review there um shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com if you have thoughts suggestions comments thank you very much for listening see you next week I think we should all remember, and almost all of us would agree, that government still has important responsibilities. Our young people hold our future in their hands. We still owe a debt to our veterans. And our senior citizens have made us what we are. Now, my budget cuts a lot, but it protects education, veterans, Social Security, and Medicare.